Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And then go to 1 Corinthians 13. And we'll eventually get there. Paul has informed these Ephesian believers of the richness that they have. They are, and is is the tendency of us after we get saved and the initial zeal wears off, we kind of lose that emotional connection, at least the depth of it, that we sometimes experience when we are born again. But and and then with that zeal sort of waning, and we sort of begin to live sort of mediocre lives. And so Paul's initiative, I think, in this epistle, this was a, a well, a grounded church. They lots of good fruit, tremendous fruit from the church, and they had just living well below the standard of what God had provided for them. And so he spends the first three chapters just going into great depth with a lot of passion, really. Uh, His prayers are just full of passion in chapter 1 there. And really kind of just laying the groundwork how Christians to pray and what to pray for, to, to grow, you know, essentially. And that everything's based upon grace. And and that this mystery, they should really appreciate what God's doing and, and laying out God's program, this mystery of the church and all. And this high privilege, we we will are the sons and daughters of God, and we will reign with Him and rule. And we are we're, we were called in the very beginning, you know, there in the garden, to image God, to take dominion over the earth, and to to rule it, manage it, tend and till what God had created. And that mission, as we know, has not changed. It's just through the curse that's upon the land and the earth, the curse that's upon us, it's just made it more difficult. Not impossible, but just more difficult. And what he has laid out for us, he has shown us that we lack nothing. We can't say to God, well, I couldn't quite image you as you wanted me to because I lacked this. That cannot be said to God. He's provided everything that we could ever need that pertains to life and to godliness. Peter tells us that, Peter, as well as Paul. And so, as he's laid out what God has done for us, now it's, and how do we respond to that? One of the things that really... As I went through, and I think every Christian goes through this kind of a growth thing. You know, you, you start out lots of zeal, you wane, and then God brings you back around to get you, to mature you, to grow you, and to really have depth of character in your life. And I uh, remember very well when that emotion began to wear off, and then I realized that there were areas in my flesh that were, you know, they had more influence than they should. And I couldn't seem to overcome some certain things. And I read those scriptures in you know, John's gospel. He who obeys me is the one who loves me. You know, that was the proof of my love for God if I would obey him. And so in some of these areas are fleshly things. They weren't necessarily overt sin, but they, just, they were just unnecessary and they were hindering me in my growth. And... I realized that I, I was loving myself 
more than loving God. Because if I really love Jesus, then I'd be willing to, to die to self. And this is sort of what we're going to build on tonight here. Um, he starts out, and I'll just sort of review here, chapter 4, it's, it's, it, you have this whole body of Christ. This is this work of God's Spirit, this deep work that's going on in all of our hearts, is happening in everyone. You're not the only one that's getting overhauled, <laughs> so to speak. Everybody's going through it. Peter's put it this way, you know, know that you know, these trials and temptations are common with the brothers, you know. You're not, the, you're not being singled out here. And so as a result of what God has done, he's called us to unity, but there's a war going on to maintain that unity. And he kind of describes that in chapter 4, the first part there, of, uh, that is our calling to walk worthy, this whole idea of walking out the truth. And so when he gets here to chapter 5, he really gets down to the very bottom of the foundation of what it takes to walk in victory, to walk victoriously, and it is learning to walk in love. It, you will, that is, love is the greatest thing. Love never fails. It's impossible for God to fail because He is pure love. And so we'll just cover the first seven verses tonight. I want to really spend some time on this walking in love. Let's read the first seven verses of Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us and offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness, covetousness, let it not even be named among you as fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. Be imitators of God. Now I love this word, it's mimite and imitate. <laughs> It's doing what others do. We we're, we have people that are great at uh, imitating other characters. I always find that interesting to see other people that can can talk just like someone else speaks and do all the the mannerisms, you know. And and we're bo- sort of born that way. You know, there's lots of studies. Um, they've tried. They've done a number of studies working with children. You know. You know. Of course, we all kind of know that if you've played with newborns or uh, three or four month old, just infants, and you make a face, they'll make the same face or try to. And they've done lots of different studies that if 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 you work with them and do certain things, they'll follow in suit. And and it's also found that you know they have one person doing certain things and and then the, the child will do it and then they'll pick out certain things that uh if they ask you know older children if they like this and they choose that and and there's a resonant a resonating there 
then that child is more likely to help. There's just so, so many social things are picked up because we are mere imitators of one another. I, I always imitated my grandfather. He obviously is many years older, but I grew up on a farm, and so we would climb the silos back before uh, automatic silo unloaders were common. We did it the old-fashioned way, climb, you get the fork, throw it down the chute, and f- fill the fill the wagon, and go feed the cattle. Right. And I remember my I can remember this as just as plain as day when a little you know six seven year old boy, with my grandfather, watching him with he always used the big pitch fork, that was Grandpa's fork, and when Grandpa was around we tried to use it you know, <laughs> but the way he did his work was so. He's very particular about the way he did what he did. And I remember, this is how you do it, because this is the way Grandpa does it, right? And I imitated him, and probably in other areas that he probably didn't appreciate. But um, I'm sure you have your stories of how your children, if you have children, have imitated you. We learn by watching. You know, in ministry, what do we, what's our famous saying? Ministry is not taught, it is caught. You're going to do what you see and you're going to follow through with, with with how you see the leadership that you are involved with act. And so that puts a big responsibility upon all of us who are in leadership. So in this case, Paul is we're to imitate God. Now how do we imitate someone that we cannot see with our eyes? Anybody in here met Jesus physically, personally? Have you seen him? No. But we're blessed because that's what Jesus said, blessed are those who believe without seeing. But what we can see is what he did in the scriptures. Aren't you glad that he left us a a book, a story, the Gospels that kind of explain how he went about things. And so this is a, this is our picture of God. As we go through the Old Testament, we have uh, other things that we, that we begin to de- develop these Images of God, not in a bad sense, but his character is revealed, his nature is revealed. Um, and so it gets us, um, gets a hold of us. It's like we're to imitate him, we're to be like him. We were created in his, in his image. And so he, there's something about uh, doing and being like him that, that we, it's just sort of innate. We're to do, be like God. And of course, as you go through the scriptures, um, it says that we're to be merciful. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful, Luke 6. You know, well, how's God merciful? Well, he didn't wipe you out yet. <laughs> that means he's merciful. You know, and then, of course, the Old Testament is be holy. Be like me, set apart. For I am holy. And we learned that in Leviticus. And then the big thing that should hit us right between the eyes is that we're forgiven. We, we, we sin in thought every day. Something negative, something just the flesh, it'll kick up a row at any point in time, right? And so we, we know that we need to be washed. We need to be cleansed. And so there's this continual flow of forgiveness that we experience with God, which should tell us if we're to be like God, that we should forgive others. You know, it's, this isn't really difficult, is it? And so, but he says this, dear children, and so this is where we start thinking about the parent-child relationship. You know, think of 
my boys, I can't really, to be honest with you, I can't really remember my boys imitating me like I imitated my grandfather uh, in that regard. I mean, I'm sure they did, and I wasn't around to catch it, <laughs> or I wasn't paying attention. Uh, but I, what I have learned from both of my sons, actually, is that they find themselves, and this is their report, <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm making, I'm my dad. <laughs> So something along the way, they caught. And it's just virtually impossible for that not to happen. I mean, we sort of mimic those that we admire. And that comes back to that little childhood test. If there's a love exchange happening with the tester and the, the infant, and, the, and there's, there's, there's some commonality and some reassurance that that behavior that has been expressed by the little fellow is, is appreciated by the adult, then... It'll compound and it sort of builds a bond, and so this is uh, what happens. We we sort of as we imitate things that are pleasing, and it's be, if it's be, that behavior is reinforced, then we'll continue to do it. And so, um, boy, there's a lot that could be built on that. And you know, I'm not a I'm not a psychologist, but there's a lot a lot to it. It's just the way we are put together. But I like what Paul says. If we're going to imitate anyone. Which we will imitate somebody, right? It should be the Lord Jesus Christ. Imitate, be imitators of God as dear children. Now, some of us think that we're spiritual adults. It only takes a few a few failures to realize we are still children. There's a reason God called them the children of Israel, <laughs> not the adults of Israel, not the offspring of Israel, but the children of Israel. <laughs> And kids do crazy things. You know, you probably shouldn't do that because if you do that, this is going to happen. Oh, no, it happens to others, but not to me. You know, we have those kinds of thoughts as kids. So imitators of God is still true. And then he says in verse 2, walk in love. And so I just want to, I just have this one thought that I want to dwell on in these first seven verses of in Paul's thinking here. What it means to to walk in love. To walk, what is he talking about? He's talking about lifestyle, obviously. He's talking about your behavior. You know, I used to get this regularly, and I'm sure you did growing up. Children need to be corrected. It was behave yourself. You kids in the back seat there, behave. <laughs> Straighten up. Stop doing that. Okay, kids, sit on your hands. You know, it's an interesting thing. We've, My wife discovered this. You know, kids, you get five kids in a car and, you know, you're driving down the road and any amount of, any length of time and pretty soon there's stuff going on that shouldn't be going on and the noise level escalates, etc. And my wife, I don't know how she discovered this, but it was pretty cool. She's, all right, you guys sit on your hands. And as soon as the kids sit on their hands, they shut their mouth. <laughs> Is for some reason, if by sitting on their hands, their mouth closed. Now, I don't know if they're what the connection is, but it worked. <laughs> and I think I think they might imitate that with their kids <laughs> at some point. Walk in love as Christ has loved us and given Himself for us. I appreciate the music tonight. I don't know if um, Chelsea realized. Uh, that we would spend some time on this, but this is what people. Some need a reason for certain things. 
Well, there's a few reasons here uh, why we're to walk in love. First one is Christ, the example of Christ. He is the most loving person that ever walked upon this earth. He is love, and he personified it. He responded to, the way he responded to people, the way he didn't respond to people. When he healed people and didn't heal them. When he responded to the Pharisees and didn't respond to them. Everything that he did was the epitome of love. And then on top of that, as we read, he gave himself. And that's what love is really the bottom line of love. It is always giving. It love Lovers are givers. People who love other people are giving of themselves. God is the greatest giver of all. He gave himself. He could give no more than when he... And the Bible tells us this in Romans. If it was the death of Christ that, that brought us into a relationship with the Father, how much more will his life... God is wanting to give us life. He did in the person of Christ. But he's wanting to give us more than life beyond life. Just continual giving of himself to us. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. And, you know, like I said, when you're younger and you have things that are, you're, you learn certain things. And I remember, uh, this is way back in the 70s, actually, and I was not converted too long. And, and I remember Pastor Chuck teaching on this. Uh, chapter 13, we know, is, is the love chapter. And and then he would, you know, come to this, and he would read it out, and, which I'm going to read here, beginning in verse 3. All right, let's, just, let's just read the whole thing here, right? <laughs> Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, and have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And although I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And although I bestow my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave it rudely, does not seek its own, it's not provoked, it thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail, whether there are tongues, they will cease, whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, and that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but I, then I shall know just as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And you can do this on your own, but the exercise that I remember so vividly, and I do this on occasion, is to plug your name in there. Greg suffers long and is kind. Sometimes. <laughs> Once in a while. Not always. Not as consistently as I should. I mean, let's be you have to, you start 
putting yourself in there and what it sort of, it sort of changes your perspective on it. And yet Jesus, if you put the Jesus in there, Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not pray himself. Jesus is not puffed up. Doesn't doesn't hurt the text one bit, does it? <laughs> so this is a good test. You think you're doing all right? Just go there and that'll sort of level you out a little bit. So we have the example of Christ. Why should we walk in love? Because our, our Savior did. Because our God is love. That is who He is. That is who we are to be. And this is the, uh, the, the issue here. Love does not do certain things. You know, there's often the, the theological argument, you know, could Jesus have sinned? Uh, no, <laughs> he did not have a fallen nature. He had a human nature, but it was not fallen. And, you know, so we think, well, that wasn't really fair. Oh, well, he was tempted. Just because he didn't have a fallen nature doesn't mean that he couldn't be tempted. He was tempted in all ways like we are. I think what's important when it comes to this point is is if we're going to make progress in our spiritual growth and if love is going to be a really genuine, real love it, and it's going to be because we realize we no longer belong to ourselves. When I come to the point where I don't want my will, I really want to have His love, then that means... The self-idolatry has to be brought to the cross. Self has to be crucified in order for Christ to live. You know, the, you know the, the little thing we learned years ago in Sunday school, you know, the middle letter of pride is I. And the middle letter of sin is I. The I in sin, the I of pride, all that has to, in me has to be brought to the cross. That is just the way it is. We've been purchased by God. We are not our own. Well, I can do whatever I want. Well, can you? Yeah, you do that. That's idolatry. That's, that's the worship of self. And this is what I see in the church that really is concerning to me, is Christians, or those who profess to be Christians, and this is a very general statement, but I've, I've sensed it, and I think it's present in the church. We've created a God in our and after our own liking. Well, the God I believe in would never do that. I'm not really interested in what kind of God, I th- what I think God would do. I'd rather just stick to what he says he's going to do and what he is like, and not violate him, his character or his nature by my own opinion. This cry of, I am, I am my own. I, it is my body. I can do whatever I want. That is the you know, humanistic point of view. Therefore, I can murder the child within me if I so choose because after all, it's parasitical, you know. I'm just the host. Yeah. As Christians, we are not our own. 1 Corinthians 6.20 and then 
Peter tells us that we are when we're born again, we have a new nature. This is the whole thing. God has provided everything we need, and that is that we are born again. We have a new nature. God isn't trying to get you to improve your flesh or make you a better person. That because that will not work. The fallen nature has no place. The, in, those that walk after the flesh cannot please God. And Jesus said it very directly, very lovingly. The flesh profits nothing. The fallen nature profits nothing from the spiritual perspective of God imparting life. He does not impart life to your fallen nature. He, his life is, comes to us through the divine nature because we're born again. It's our spirit that receives life. So we must walk after the spirit. And the spirit feeds on his love. couple scriptures that sort of again should sink into us. I mentioned a little bit of this earlier, one of being for, about forgiveness. Above all things, have fervent love for one another for love will cover a multitude of sins. That's the whole idea that how can we forgive people that say, say and do things over and over continue to repeat and offend continually. Well, the way just look in the mirror, how spiritually speaking, how we do some of the things to God over and over. And it should help us in that regard. Notice he says here, or gives a list from three uh, through six, of three through five of Things of the fallen nature. I don't really like to talk about it, nor do I like to be reminded of what I'm capable of. And for those of who have, who have been raised in a Christian home and you have not exercised yourself in, in depravity or the dark side or the fleshly indulgences that Paul may have mentioned here, you're good because they, well, all they do is scar your spirit. They scar you. They, they mar your the imagery that of, of God, as it were. So for the exhortation is to walk in love. I walk in love by following the example of Christ in a positive sense. In the negative sense, avoiding the works of the flesh. And it's not a good, it's not a pretty less fornication. It's sexual uncleanness. And we have to be guarding ourselves. Now to look at the opposite sex in a way that's lustful. And, you know, if we catch our, guide our, protect our eyes, you know, as, as Job had conditioned himself, you know, I will not look upon a maid. You know, you, 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 you look at people, you see people, but you glance and move on. You don't dwell on it. Because you can't go further than that if you're switching your thought patterns. So you avoid some of these fleshly things if you are walking in love. Uncleanness, just general things that we know from Leviticus that defile. This is why the exhortation is be careful what we see with our eyes. Our eye gate and our ear gate must be protected. If you are... Listening to something that is unclean, it will defile you. 
Touch not the unclean thing. I mean, this is the whole thing of the law. And it, was, it wasn't... There was something behind that. It was the nature and character of God that was sort of being driven home, if you will, in the hearts and minds of the Israelites. Yahweh is holy. And if you're going to commune with God, if you want to hear His voice and walk in close proximity of His presence, then you will avoid these things. And this is what Paul is sort of saying. If you really are walking in love, then you're, going to, you're not going to do these things. Filthiness. Foolish talking. You know, the, the, the water cooler talk that can go on in the workplace. Just walk away. You know, you know, I mentioned this Sunday with a little bit of emotion, but unplug from Hollywood as much as possible. It's just garbage and filth. And you, you know, if you feed that flesh man, he'll get stronger. The only way to really kill him is to starve him, crucify him. Fortunately, it's a lifelong process. You know, it's just better, as he said, they're giving thanks. Rather giving thanks. You want an, you want an option here <laughs> to, to your language if it's questionable? But just learn to be a thankful individual because that will cause you to think about what it has happened to you and what God has given to you and what others have given to you and learn to be a thankful person. So we can walk in love or behave ourselves in a loving manner by remembering Christ's example, avoiding the flesh, but understanding the wrath of God. I think some people actually do come to Christ because they're afraid, they're, they're so terrified they're going to go to hell. That's not, you know what? I don't care what the motive is. <laughs> Get them in the kingdom, right? I mean, it's, it's better to, you know, maybe your initial motive for getting saved wasn't because, oh, now I love God. Maybe your initial motive was, I don't want to go to hell. And, you know, there's an option here. Okay, I'm taking an option to go to heaven, okay? Well, you'll grow in your love for God. But I don't care what your initial motive was. Just get right with God. But, you know, when you start thinking about what he says here in verse 5, it's rather sobering. No fornicator, unclean person, covetous man, idolaters, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Wow, that's, that's pretty sobering. So you need to understand the wrath of God. God is, the Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. And it, but it's his mercy and his patience and his love that restrains his wrath from being poured out. Now revelation is, is wrath unrestrained. You know, the first part of the tribulation period is Satan doing his, his evil deeds, Right? Well, he, Satan's wrath compared to the wrath of God, they aren't even in the same league. So this is good to see this other side of God. Oh, yes, he's loved, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, you know, look upon this little child. And we just, you know, God, God of the New Testament is the God of love. Oh, love, love, love. As if it has no corrective forces or some added, some attitude towards evil. Oh, the God, God is the same yesterday to, Yesterday and forever, his attitude towards wrong and evil is, it makes him mad. What's going on in our country and, and the destruction of personal property and the destruction of lives, the murder of people? You no, know, he's angry with it. God's wrath is, is 
How does he how does he restrain himself from these crimes against humanity? He's waiting for us to step up to the plate and deal with it. It's really part of it. So another way is having discernment. I think that's important. You know, oh, I'm a Christian, but you're you go to the bar and you drink and you intoxicate yourself. Oh, my son accepted the Lord when he was a teenager, but right now he's living with a girl and he's not going to church and blah, 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 blah. But I know he'll, he'll eventually come back. That kind of person has really no understanding of what their scripturally position might, might be. And that's a false sense of security. That is empty words. And that is vain. That's that's deception. You know, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You ever notice that when you do certain sins, there's certain little stingers that come with those sins. And usually they bring pain. And pain is a way of causing to get, you know, pain gets our attention. And so I'm going to stop there in regards to love. It says, I just want to, you to leave with no other thought than to walk in love. To think about how much God loves us. The scriptures are replete with incredible examples. David used the word loving kindness, that hesed, that loyal love that God has. It's just faithful covenant love. I've done all this for you because I love you. I am committed to you, and no matter what you do, I will always love you. That's the kind of love. Notice he says, walk in love as Christ has loved us. How He's loved us unconditionally. He's loved us unendingly. Let's help me here. How else has God loved us? What, any, what, I think that list could be quite lengthy, actually. How has God loved us. Those are two ways that I can think of. Sacrificially. Sacrificially. Yeah, that's right. We just read that. Yes. Yeah. He protected. A protective love. Excellent. Long-suffering. Patient love. Yes, long-suffering. Directive love, yes. You know, if you see somebody that's lost their way, you do you just let them go flounder? <laughs> that wouldn't be very loving when you know that someone's lost and you just let them continue to wander. And that's really kind of what we were doing in life, just sort of meandering through not having a clue. And God, as she said, led us to himself, and he directs our lives. Beautiful. But it's the greatest thing. I was doing some study on on healing, and people that have been abused, one of the things, uh, the keys to a person that's been abused and been in an abusive situation is love. Love is the basis of all healing. 
And all healing, as you look in scriptures, is relational. You know, Jesus touched people. He interacted with people. It wasn't just, you know, you know, wave the hand and everybody in the crowd's healed. That'd be showing off. That's not loving because Jesus is not puffed up. It's, and we think about whatever the dance, you know, when someone, it's, it's absolutely the absence of love when someone is abused and hurt like that. And so if that's what caused it, then you, you bring back what is the opposite of that, and that is love. And we see that, I see this in some of the people that have been restored in our church with emotional damage, tremendous emotional damage. And what has brought healing into the life is the love of God. That is the greatest healer of all. And so when you're working with someone, for example, that has emotional damage, and a lot of times it is expressed in anger. They're mad. They get ticked off because they've been injured. I mean, who doesn't get upset when you've been wronged and abused, etc.? But it plays out in subtle ways sometimes. And so you need to, and this is for you who minister in that arena, just ask them about the situation and how they're feeling towards that person or persons that may have done this to them. And lead them through it while I'm feeling angry. And then you just simply ask them, Would, are you willing to give that anger to Jesus? And then ask them if they are willing to let Jesus come in and heal that wound. See, that, that is the road to healing. That's how you recover from it, is the love of God floods and it takes away. And we used to have a, and I'll close with this, we all love Miss Rosalie Mixon. <laughs> She's an el- quite elderly now. She had a very abusive husband when she came to the Lord, and he, um, shortly after he came to the Lord, he succumbed to cancer. But one of the things that Lord gave her, and he was very mean to her, especially after she did come to Christ, and the phrase the Lord gave her, she imparted to our church, is you pour love on hate. <laughs> and it's, the, it's, it's true. If you just love people, and you don't, because if you, you respond in hate, it just, it's inflammatory. It just creates a bigger flame, right? A firestorm. But you you're pour, pour water on that. The love of, just squelches that fiery hatred and so this is what we're to do as Christians to walk in love we will learn next week about walking in the light and walking in the truth these are the things that we need if we're going to be complete mature well-rounded believers is because we are we've learned the lesson of love we learn purity, light. Our, we, we're people of knowledge. We know, we understand. And then, we, you know, with that understanding, we know how to use that knowledge. We have wisdom. Those are the things that, will, that stand out in a culture that has been so dumbed down and so ripped off and filled with so much hate because of the injuries that they've faced. This is, you know, 
what is this? We have people that are walking in the divine nature that get it. We're part of the family of God. We have people in the world that have no idea what we're talking about. And they all they know is their human nature and the best they can do with that, but they don't have the power. They don't have the impetus. They don't have anything to overcome those things. It's all sheer will of what they think in their mind that they can do to be what... You know, so they can alleviate the pain because they know, you, we know by nature, if we live certain ways, it, it brings more pain. And so he, Paul's laying the foundation here, just down to the bare bones. If you don't have this, you don't have anything. If you don't have love, if you don't have understanding, if you don't have wisdom, you're going to miss it. And so I just love Paul's logic here. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. And this is such a simple concept, Lord. But just like children, Lord, sometimes we just, we don't get the significance of it all. We just sort of think that's too simple, that's too elementary. There's, 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 there's deeper things that I'm more interested in, you know, Lord, just forgive us. There's nothing greater, there's nothing more proper <laughs> than for us to walk in love, to be loving, Lord. Forgive us for all those actions and those words that have not been loving, Lord. And fill us with your love and continue to teach us about your love. In Jesus' name, amen.